money. You can't really get through life without it. Some people use it to define success. Some people use it as the key to reach their goals. And some people use it to attain freedom. Whatever your motivation, you need to know how to earn it, how to use it and how to grow it. For years, women have been telling their beauty stories, their success stories, their health stories. Now, we want to talk to women about their money stories. Welcome to Tilly Money. Senator Jane Hume is the Assistant Minister for Superannuation, Financial Services and Financial Technology. Jane got her start working at NAB in sales and marketing research prior to becoming an investment banker, a business development manager and a senior policy advisor, all before entering the world of politics. During her time in politics, Jane has always mindfully represented women's interests, including serving on the Women's Council and previously the Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia organisation. In fact, one of the things that I'm most proud of um, from uh, you know, of my government, my time in government, is that we've seen the gender pay gap drop from around yes. 17.6 to about 14.5%. Today's episode is brought to you by our principal partner, Mortgage Choice. 2020 has been a challenging year, so Mortgage Choice and its national network of mortgage brokers are on a mission to help Australians restart their 2020. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or investment property or want to refinance an existing home loan to get a better deal, let a mortgage choice broker answer all your questions, show you what's available and do the legwork to help you restart 2020. Visit mortgagechoice.com.au or call 137762 to speak to your local broker. Welcome to Tilly Money, Jane. Thanks very much for having me, Claire. It's really good to join you. Yeah, my welcome too, Jane. It's Maureen here, and it's fabulous Thanks, that you're Maureen. yeah you're giving up your time. And so I might kick off with the first question and position it this way because, as I was listening to what Claire said about the Assistant Minister for Super Financial Services, Financial Technology, I would say that somewhere along the line in your life, Jane Hume, that. <laughs> You knew a little about money. So could you take us through that? Where did you learn about money growing up? You know, what gave you this understanding or this this desire to know more? Uh, well, I mean, I think there's nothing unusual there. I learned about money from my parents. You know, my parents were both, they both worked really hard. They both had jobs. They didn't grow up wealthy, but they wanted to give both my sister and myself the best start in life. They were adamant that we would have... Um, you know, a good education, and uh, and and speaking, and, and my dad ran his own business as well, and, and because of that, you know, we would talk about what was going on in, in financially anyway for the family around around the table quite regularly. Mm. So I suppose I grew up with it as sort of you know a little bit like politics. That was the other thing we discussed at the table too. Mm. So you know, it was just it was just part of everyday everyday living. Mm, I understand that totally. There's a lot goes on around that dining room or kitchen table, as they used to say. But Jane, you talked about your parents wanted to give you a best start in life, you know, which is something that good parents want want to give to their children. So where did you get your your start? Well, actually, you know, I mean, I, as I said, I, I got a good education. I went off to Melbourne University and I got a commerce degree and I, I walked out of Melbourne University with my commerce degree and, you know, nothing but a ponytail and a dream, but <laughs> walked, walked into the, the, the early 1990s recession, the recession that we had to have, which was so formative for me. 
you know, and it, and it happened to a lot of my friends as well. No matter how hard we applied or how often, there just were so few jobs out there. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's quite um, confronting, I think, emotionally when you know that you are capable and enthusiastic and hardworking, ready to go, but you cannot get a job. And for me, anyway, that was one of the, the great drivers of getting into politics. You know, I never wanted my children to face that same period of time uh, where they, they couldn't get appropriate work, couldn't get suitable work. Ironically, of course, now that we're in the middle of the COVID-19 um, and my children are now, I've got one at university and, and two in their final years of high school, that they probably are going to face similar circumstances. So um, you know, that's, that's a real shame. But you know, that said, it was actually my dad that took me, took me aside and hired me and gave me my first job mm. as an analyst in his company. And I worked for him for a couple of years. I learned everything about um, company valuations and, and put my comments to go to good use. Mm. But my first job outside working for Dad was with National Bank um, and in National Australia Financial Management. And that was really how I fell into financial advice in particular and, and investment advice. And, uh, and I started as an analyst and then moved through, financial, mm. moved through National Australia Financial Management and through the bank itself. It does seem that you were clearly very adept at your job because you had such a kind of what, what would appear from the outside, a, a quick rise to the top. So what do you think <laughs> motivated you through that through that kind didn't of didn't feel that matter? quick when I was there. <laughs> yeah, didn't I feel bet. that quick when I was there. <laughs> yeah. Everything in hindsight appears quick. That's exactly, yeah. that's exactly right. Look, I mean, I think it's it's more opportunity, isn't it, what motivated you? It's, it's opportunity. Every time I took a job, you, know, you get a new um, perspective about what the next level looks like. And you also get an opportunity to demonstrate your ability and your reliability. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, for me, it was work, even though I was working in the, the funds management and financial advice arm of the organization as an analyst there, I also got to switch between the two. You know, I got to move from a sort of um, sales and marketing analysis through to investment analysis, and that was really important, and product analysis, and then into managerial roles. So, I mean, I think to, to a large extent, it's a matter of just never saying no to the next opportunity as it presents itself. I think Sheryl Sandberg was the one that said, um, you know, if someone offers you a speed on a rocket ship, don't ask which one. Yes. Yeah. I always think that that's, uh, you know, a, a good mantra for life. You know, I, I don't think I ever really said no to an opportunity that was mm. presented to me. Mm. Um, and so what kind of important lessons did you learn during your time in, in the finance and asset management sectors? Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, I think that the, one of the most important things that I learned was how um, disengaged so many people are from their own personal balance sheet. Mm. Um, and particularly women, too. I think that we tend to bury our heads in the sand a little bit. If something is confusing, we push it to the back of the file cabinet and we say, um, you know, we'll do that a little bit later. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think that the most important things I learned was that you know, managing risk is just as important as managing return, um, that uh, particularly in a work environment, you should never be silent. You know, your voice is a really, really important one, but to also remember at the same time that the noisiest voice in a room is is rarely the wisest voice. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, and particularly with personal finances, you have to be in it to win it. There's no point standing back from the sidelines and watching markets behave you know you've got to be in there and, and, and get your hands a little bit dirty to really fully understand it mm, so true jane one of the things behind tilly money and indeed one of the reasons why we're driving with such passion and energy and gusto is that 
There is a well-recognised gender pay gap and probably because of that there's a, a gender wealth gap. And mm. one of the aims of Tilly Money is to assist in closing that gap. In your experience, you know, what's driven that gap in the past and what can help close it? I think that, you know, you hit the nail on the head there, Maureen, to some extent. You know, people's wealth, whether they're male or female, is driven by their experience of work. And women's experience of work is different to that of men. Now, of course, we have um, a pay gap, a gender pay gap. In fact, one of the things that I'm most proud of um, from uh, you know, of my government and my time in government is that we've seen the gender pay gap drop from around yes. 17.7 to about 14.5%. You know, it's still a long way to go, but that's actually a significant decline. And one yeah. of those things that has declined is largely because there's a better um, women's participation in the workforce, which is really, really important. You know, that wage disparity, disparity though, is something we have to keep working on because you know, wage disparity erodes financial empowerment. But also, you know, work patterns are something that, you know, um, affects women in a different way to men. We have broken work patterns. We often take time out for caring. We retire earlier than men as well. And also work choices. Um, you know, the type of work we do tends to um, directly affect the wealth we accumulate. There are twice as many uh, male students of STEM or that want to do STEM than there are females. There are actually... Two male tertiary graduates of STEM um, courses, STEM degrees, for every one female. And we know that those are the jobs of the future where there is money to be made, that's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, mm. which is why but to encourage women to make the right work choices. Mm. But I think that one of the great drives of the gender wealth gap is, is confidence. Women still doubt their ability to manage money. And that's something that I think I know that Tilly's working on. I know that it's something that my government's working on. Uh, it's a really hard nut to crack, but it is so important. Mm, certainly, as you said, it's what's driving us. But, Jane, you mentioned about the disengagement from a person's own personal balance sheet. And you said, you know, that men can be like that and, and women can be like it. But why is it important to have that engagement? Why is it important for women to take their finances seriously? Well, um, greater financial capability has a direct link with boosting women's economic independence, you know, building their, their savings, they're building their retirement savings, their retirement income. But it's also really good personally too. You know, it's about um, control and agency and, and empowerment. Uh, there are correlations between... Um, women who are financially empowered and their propensity to be subjected to domestic violence. There's, you know, all mm. sorts of mm. amazing so links mm. that come with mm. financial empowerment. Mm. But most importantly, I think there is a peace of mind factor uh, that it's very hard to put a value on, but it is so, so important just for a, you know, a happy and, and you know, balanced and, and, and meaningful life. Mm. Do you feel that women are, in a sense, also not sufficiently acknowledged as consumers of financial information? Well, it's funny you should say that because I think increasingly they are more so mm. uh, the target of marketing campaigns for financial information and financial knowledge. You know, studies have you know, shown things like that um, when women are employed in particular, they are increasingly involved in the financial decision-making in their household, for instance. Uh, you know, women... 
uh, only in the last sort of 20 or 30 years did, did marketers uh, and advertising agencies realize that women were actually responsible for the large um, household purchases. You know, whether it be white goods or whether it be cars or whatever, you know, women actually tend to direct those types of purchases. But more so, um, recently, we're seeing more women involved in, uh, you know, financial services, investment, superannuation, those types of family decisions. Mm. So that's a good thing, but it has taken a long time to sort of, you know, turn that Queen Mary around. Yeah. But we want more women involved in those decisions. They're a really important ones. Mm, so true. Jane, you're Assistant Minister for Superannuation and, you know, there's superannuation, it's never been a topic that's really engaged people because it looks like it's money that's put away, you know, years down the track that you can't get access to. But it's such an important area to understand because it's your money, you know, it's your super is your money for, you, for your future. But how do you get people interested in super? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Superannuation is one of those things that people have kept entirely separately in their mind or com- compartmentalised in their mind away from their personal balance sheet. In fact, if anything, this uh, you know the uh, one of the COVID responses we had was this early release of superannuation scheme, and we've seen people about 2.7 million Australians now accessing some of their superannuation early. Um, in response, as part of a financial resilience measure to build their personal balance sheet um, during some you know, quite significant financial uncertainty. Interestingly, more men than women have access to super. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what to read into that just yet. But what it has done has um, engaged an, an entire generation, if you like, of people that might never have turned their mind to super before. Mm. To, to, to that to the pot of savings. They're saying, where has that nearly $1.10 of everything that I've earned gone? Mm. Who's looking after it? Um, you know, has it grown in the past or has it stagnated? Uh, you know, is my super fund responsive to my needs? What's the trade-off of taking my money now compared to leaving it in? And can, if I do take it out now, you know, how do I contribute more? So I think that has actually been quite an interesting exercise. Um, it would, it's a shame that it had to come under the, the shroud of a, of a pandemic. Mm. But there are, I think, some interesting ways uh, that we're seeing, particularly from the fintech community now, of engaging people in their superannuation more. They're making it much simpler. Um, there's things, you know, they're using apps so that you can see your balance, you know, every day if you want to, rather than having to wait for your statements to come each quarter. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some really interesting apps to do things like gamify super. So, um Let's say you know you buy a cup of coffee for three dollars eighty every day. Well, it will you know round up your the price of a cup of coffee to, mm. to four dollars, and that twenty cents will become a voluntary contribution to your super, and then it will go really? bing and it'll be up in your account. That sort of stuff's fantastic. And when you do a sort of a certain level of voluntary contributions each month, whether it's intentional or whether it's um, as a roundup. Uh, you might get a, a reward of some sort. Now, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, you know, what the <laughs> sort of uh, you know, the ethics around of that, uh, you know, reward system for superannuation now. But <laughs> mm. that's beside the point. I actually think that this is a really interesting way of um, establishing a sense of ownership and a sense of empowerment over your retirement savings. Yeah, um, and, uh, and, and and that level of engagement is really encouraging. Mm. Interesting. I've never heard of that that app before. I have to look into, certainly that. look into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as the senior policy advisor to Australian Super, I'm just wondering what what are the kinds of conversations that are happening internally at Super Funds around you know the engagement and education of 
of people with super? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, again, um, each super fund is very different. Mm. Uh, but, you know, you see a conversation in places like um, HESTA, which largely has a, you know, a very female um, membership base. Mm. They're doing some really significant work to educate their members, um, to, you know, to um, in- encourage them to, to take control of their financial futures in lots of different ways, not just during the superannuation, but also through insurance and, and, and other aspects of, of their sort of financial well-being. That's really good. Um, I, I think that super funds, again, have realised that even though superannuation is a system that sets faces, was built for men. You know, when it was established in 1992, it was built around the idea of an average blue-collar worker who starts work at the age of 19 or so and keeps working in the same job until he retires at 65 with a gold watch and his superannuation. Mm, yeah. and, and that's just not the way women work. You know, it's, it's not the way most people work these days. Uh, but it's certainly not the way women work. And so we're, we're kind of retrofitting a system to reflect current workplaces, but also the, you know, the different cohorts within workplaces. And, and of course, women are a significant cohort that weren't considered, weren't prioritised when the system was put together. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've talked about then something that was, you know, obviously changing, but we were stuck with that for a while because it was a thing of the past. But you're also Minister for Financial Technology, Jane. So can, what about insights into the future of money then? What's happening on that front? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, um, you know, banking is going to change up quite significantly very soon with the introduction of what's called the consumer data right. You know, banking is one of those things that, you know, we know intuitively if you switch your home loan or you switch your credit card, chances are you're going to get a better deal. Mm. And in fact, the stats say that if you switch your home loan, uh, you're probably going to save around $2,000, sorry, around $1,000 per year for just for switching your home loan once, which is pretty amazing. Wow. If you switch credit cards, chances are you'll save around $200 per year just by switching credit cards. But it's all too hard. It's very, um, mm. it's, it's a sort of grudge purchase in the first place and the, the, the transaction is messy and time-consuming and just not, it gets put in a too hard basket. So the consumer data right, which has been introduced by this government, um, provides consumers with much greater access to their own personal information that sits within those financial services providers. If you think about it, you know, your bank uh, not, doesn't just know your name and your address and your email address and your phone number and which accounts you've got. It also knows how you spend your money. It knows how often you get paid. It knows um, what your uh, repayment habits are on your credit card and on your home loan. All of that data doesn't necessarily belong to them, though. It belongs to you. Mm. And what the consumer data right does is allow you to access that information and give it securely to a third party, an accredited third party provider. It might be a fintech, it might be another bank, it might be a um, you know credit union or, or, or some other financial services provider, so that they can offer you a better deal or a tailored product that better suits your needs. So, and Jane, what you're them, saying is it would make that transition. So you can oh, get that seamless. better deal from one seamless. So you can move without the hassle. That's exactly mm. right. Or you can compare deals apples mm. and apples rather than being sort of bewildered mm. with these you know comparison sites that don't really make sense. It actually takes your data and says which one is best for you. Mm. Yeah. And that is a really, really powerful tool. Now that was introduced uh, the first tranche that was introduced in uh, the on the first of July. It's gonna be a bit of a slow burn. It's not until the first of November that 
mortgage data gets included in there. That's when it's going to become really powerful. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, the ACCC is accrediting these third parties and eventually we'll find a far more competitive playing field in which people can switch product providers to what best suits them personally. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I, look, I liken it to... Um, you know, the difference between a, a Nokia flip phone and a smartphone. You know, mm-hmm. 15 years ago, we all had a Nokia flip phone. We thought they were the coolest things ever. You can make a call. Hey, you could even do a text. Mm-hmm. But now you can't live without a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Well, the consumer data right, which which we call, in banking anyway, we call open banking, is going to make a, a, an extraordinary difference to the way we bank these, um, compared to today. So, uh, so I think that's a really, really exciting development. It exists mm. in the UK already, and it's going great guns there. We'll be the first economy, though, that has a consumer data right that is much broader than just banking. So we start with banking, but then we're going to extend it to things like telecommunications and energy, uh, potentially insurance and superannuation, to make all of the you know switching between products, uh, you know, frictionless, seamless, and much easier for the customer. And uh, and this is really is genuinely revolutionary. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So what do you think people need to kind of prepare for in terms of the incorporation of tech with money? Well, I mean, I think that a lot of it is going to be a mental shift. Amazingly, this period of, um, of COVID-19 has been uh, a, a sort of, um, you know, a, a bit of a firecracker under the pants of, of a lot of people. You know, we're now in an almost cashless society. Uh, I wouldn't say it was cashless, but, you know, I understand that, there's about sort of 62% of um, of transactions were in cash a decade ago. Now, uh, last year it was about 27%. And while we haven't seen the estimates yet, or, or any you know, hard data yet, the estimates is that it's less than 10% this year, purely because people aren't aren't using you know they're using digital transactions um, because of the pandemic. And I, I can vouch for that. I've got a $50 note that's been sitting in my wallet. Uh, since March, and I haven't mm. spent it, oh my which God. is uh, very, very unlike me, I can mm. tell you. But, um, <laughs> I totally relate to it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So I think that, it, you know, it's a matter of getting providers comfortable with the idea of FinTech and, and what it can do, what it what it can do. Um, we want to make sure that, uh, that, that that the providers, of the, of the um, particularly the ones that are accredited, you know, the new names, are reputable, but mm. you, you feel like that you, if the ACCC says they're okay, well then they're okay. So there's, a, there's got to be a level of trust involved in um, in switching providers. There's got to be a lot of safeguards around that. Things like using um, you know, dual verification systems, which I know are frustrating for a lot of people. They say, right, well you put in your password, but now we're going to send you a code. But all of that sort of stuff is really, really important, I yeah. think. Um, yeah. And there's also going to be some good quality. Uh, independent um, sources of information. And the one that we direct people to from government perspective is Ethics Money Smart website, which is just, uh, for, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> one of the better exceptions, a wealth of information Absolutely. there, a lot of calculators. You know that it's independent. No one on Money Smart is trying to sell you anything. Yeah. It's just there to help you. Mm. So uh, well, I think that that's a really good source of information. I think it's an interesting sign that years ago, Jane, you would have had cash only and, you know, even COVID's brought yeah. about some of this. It's cards only, yeah. you know. So it's a, it is a sh- big shift in the world and you can see that cashless society is something that, that – um, not only can happen, but will happen. It's really not yeah. far away. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm. quite extraordinary, isn't it? You know, I, I like to use my mother as a benchmark 
Um, and uh, up until a couple of years ago, she was still, in, still saying thank you when the ATM gave her money. But now she's switching to digital. She's now switching to cashless. I've actually moved her away from her card mm. and onto mm. using her phone as oh. a, as, you know, mm. which is, which is a really big step for you know. Um, I uh, know, a widow in her 70s. and mm. uh, oh, She's uh, a super mum, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just shifting on to more of a personal note, I was wondering if you could tell us what has been the biggest barrier that you've had to overcome with money? Gosh, look, you know, I, I don't think I'm Robinson Crusoe here. I think I can speak for an awful lot of women that I say the big, um, you know, the, the big moment for me was when I got divorced. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I worked out very quickly that marriage is not a retirement plan, um, and um, you know it takes a, a fair bit of effort to rebuild everything from there. Your bank accounts, your super, your home loans, your insurance—you know, really are starting from scratch. You've got to do a full stock take. But once you've done it, wow, it is a really empowering thing to do, yeah. and you do genuinely feel like you are in much better control. Um, and particularly after something like a divorce, which is some one of those things that is always messy by you know by its very nature. Even the friendliest ones are, are messy. Mm, yeah. But that that sense of control and empowerment is really profound when you've managed to, to get past that and and get your get your financial life in order. Yeah. So yeah, I'd probably say that would be the biggest barrier. But you know, I'm not alone there. Definitely not. No. No. Yeah. Just like no. re-establishing no. yourself. Um, it really is. Yeah. yeah, we want certainly an area we want to address with um, the breakups, whether that be a breakup of a relationship or one that's you know, legally bound through marriage. Is that there are a lot of things you know you, they talk about sexually transmitted debt, and you know there's so much to learn in that area because it's something that people don't you don't go into a marriage probably thinking you're going to divorce, mm. maybe. but you know the, no. the reality is that lots of people do. You know, relationships break down and then there are money and financial implications of that. So that's that's definitely on the goal, as Claire would well know, for um for what we're going to do with Tilly Money too. Yeah. Oh good. Well, I'm really mm. pleased about that because, mm. you know, the, I mean there's some interesting statistics now with in women engagement in superannuation that says that um, divorced women and millennial women are the ones that are most engaged in their superannuation. But mm. of course, you know, um, you know, that's, that's, that still leaves an enormous cohort there. Mm. But it really is, I, I, I get that sense that there's, <laughs> there's nothing more powerful than a woman that's rebuilt herself and financial rebuilding is possibly the most, uh, you know, most important thing that she can mm. start with. So Very true. true, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Jane, do you actually have any money rituals of your own? Do you squirrel away a certain amount every month or do you like to invest <laughs> or do you have anything... <laughs> That you do? I do. I do. Yes, I. I do. I squirrel. I'm a squirrel. <laughs> I, I. I do. I save a, a, an amount each week, not an enormous amount, but I do save a, you know an amount, and I put it into an investment account, a, a fintech investment account. I won't tell you which one. We're not into advertising, but um, and it invests in exchange exchange traded funds. Okay. I find that really helpful because I, you know it allows me to you know watch the market. Incidentally, if you like, you know, I, I would be rare that I would sit there and watch the ASX or the um, S and P five hundred or whatever it might be, um, but because I have you know skin in the game, that's yeah. it. Uh, you know, I do. Uh, and but I also I split that money between my children, so um, you know that's their sort of their little nest egg as well. I have a you know, proportion of it that goes to each of them. 
and when they turn 18, they get their proportion. And, oh, and that's actually then. really interesting too. And, well, yeah, that's exactly right. It's not that much. But, <laughs> but it's, it's, look, it's, it's still good. Nice and it, it helps me. And, um, and my plan is my, my eldest son is 18 now and, and doing university. And, of course, you know, at the moment he started university, I said, go and get yourself a job. And then, of course, he comes in and the school kid now, you know, can't leave the house alone. Mm-hmm. Job, but mm-hmm. um, but uh, but I've, I've said to him, you know, with his first paycheck, he should be setting aside a small amount and doing the same thing. You know, just get into the habit of putting a little bit aside every week. Yeah. Um. So and so that they can begin to watch watch a little nest egg as well. It's important to get into the habit of of saving for something that you want rather than this, um, you know, the expectation that you can put something on afterpay or use a credit card and yeah. and get it now. You know, that instant gratification. I, I like the idea of saving for something that you want. Definitely, it's part. I guess part of their financial education too, isn't it? Just to just to know exactly. where they where it came from and yeah. Yeah. And to watch and to see what what you know what the power of compounding can do too. That you know mm. you can actually you know passively make your money grow as long as you're disciplined enough to put some away. Exactly. We we love that word here at Tilly Money, and there's a lot of a lot of our editorial content goes around about the power of compound yeah. interest. <laughs> yeah. So and it's something that we we you know you need to be taught that you know you can put money away in your 20s and even if you didn't touch it as long as you had it in a reasonable rate of return you can wake up you know 40 years later and have a nice little amount of money on your hands mm. and that's really what super is too isn't it yeah. it's compounding well, that's exactly right mm. that's exactly right mm. so as long as you're in the right super fund and you're not mm. being um, eroded by fees and charges or mm. insurances that aren't necessary that you, you don't feel like you can claim upon if you even if you wanted to mm. that, that's the right place for your money exactly yeah. just save mm. the time so what do you think has been one of your greatest personal investments? And that could be an investment of time or in education or in money. You know, I think that the best thing I ever did was get a financial advisor. And the funny thing is, you know, having worked in financial advice for so many years myself mm-hmm. on the periphery and also in the middle of it, I never really felt like I needed an advisor. I sort of felt like I knew it all and that I could do it more effectively and, and, and less extensively if I just handled it. Mm. But it wasn't until I actually got a financial advisor and said, you know, help me start from scratch and let's fix this, that I realised that it does, you do need that level of expertise, um, somebody that's up to date with current rules, current product options, um, current taxes. Getting insurance right is really, really important. Um, and you know, setting goals. So I, I now feel like, thanks to my financial advisor, I know what I'm working towards. Yeah. Um, I'm nothing like as anxious about money as I as I used to be, uh, which I think is really important. But at the same time, I'm quite realistic. You know, I don't feel like I'm going to retire and buy a yacht. Uh, but it, you know, I, I I know that I won't die in a ditch either, as long as I can keep doing what I'm doing and the way I'm doing it. It's, it's a peace of mind investment and, and, and financial advice. Um, I know some people balk at the cost, at the upfront cost, but you know every study says if you um, if those people that have financial advice have better outcomes at the end. Right. So I know really valuable. Jane, you just talked about you know you're not going to buy a yacht, and some people I'd just like to talk for a few minutes with you in closing about success because some people might think that they're successful because they do have this amazing yacht and they can sail by and everyone can be green with envy. But success means so many different things to different people. It's such a broad term. 
And it's not always, dare I say it, at Tilly Money, here we talk about money, but success isn't always measured in money, in financial success. What does success mean to you? Uh, no, well, I agree with you. I think that success can be measured in, in many ways. And, and financial peace of mind, as I said, is really important. But I think that success is something different. For, for, for me, um, I think success is you know, a meaningful and interesting life. Um, and not just for myself, but for others too. So, you know, one of the reasons why um, I love being in politics, love doing what I'm doing, is because I think every day, you know, what is it that I can do as a part of this government to help other people have every opportunity to have a meaningful and interesting life? Mm. And I think that that is really, you know, profound and powerful and something that is also an extraordinary honour to be able to be part of affecting that change for other people. So I take it very seriously. Mm. Well, I know that we've read a lot about you, we've followed you, um, we've learned a lot about you even this morning, Jane, and I do think that you have achieved success in having a, a meaningful and interesting life and we'd love to talk to you from time to time if your time allows that. Maureen and Claire, I would love that. That would be terrific. Thank Thanks you so much, so much for coming on the podcast. That's a pleasure. Thanks very much, ladies. Your hosts this week were Maureen Jordan and Claire Osman. Thanks to Ixon for our intro music. See you next time.